City University Television presents The American Theater Wing Seminars Working in the Theater This seminar, Performance Welcome to the American Theatre Wing's Working in the Theatre Seminars, now in their 25th year, coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. These seminars offer a rare opportunity to explore with the performers the realities of working in the theatre. Today's seminar is devoted to performers, and we will learn something about how they became professionals, their work ethic, and their reasons for being in the theatre. We hope that you will enjoy and learn from today's experience. I'm Isabel Stevenson, Chairman of the Board of the American Theatre Wing, and right now let me introduce our moderator for the seminar, a distinguished member of the theatrical community and president of the Rogers and Hammerstein Foundation and member of the Board of Directors of the American Theatre Wing, Theodore Chapin. Okay. Thank you, Isabel. Um, these seminars are among the, uh, the favorites of everybody because we get to hear from actors without directors telling them what to do or the orchestra coming in underneath when someone has decided that it's time to, to move on. We have a distinguished... So with the, those are the freedoms of the day. You, know, you, can, you can say whatever you want and jump in whenever. Um, I'd like to uh, introduce our distinguished panel here from stage right, James Naughton, a two-time Tony Award winner for Chicago and City of Angels. He's appeared on, off, and off, off-Broadway, including the Blue Light Theatre Company's production of Golden Boy. He's also directed at the Williamstown Theatre Festival and provides a most persuasive voice on several current television commercials. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting next to him, Paula Prentice, um, began her career as a contract player for MGM and has appeared on many television shows and films uh, and is uh, currently starring in... I have this here... Power plays. <laughs> they made me cut this before, so I'm a little kidding. Anyway, um, I got that title. That's right. I got that Her title. stage appearances <laughs> include As You Like It for the New York Shakespeare Festival and recent productions of Love Letters and Demons at the American Repertory Theater. Thanks. Billy Crudup, currently appearing in the Blue Light Theater Company's production of Oedipus, can also be seen in the current film Without Limits. Recent productions include Three Sisters at the Roundabout Theater, Bus Stop at Circle in the Square, and Arcadia at Lincoln Center Theater. Richard Benjamin made his Broadway debut in Neil Simon's The Star Spangled Girl and his film debut in Goodbye Columbus and has appeared in over 20 films. In 1982, he's made his film directorial debut with My Favorite Year and is currently appearing in Power Plays with Paul Apprentice. Now I got it right. Uh, next, next to him is Dana Reeve, who made her Broadway debut in Rob Bartlett's More to Love, a big fat comedy. She has appeared on film and television and has participated in seven seasons at the Williamstown Theatre Festival, including a production of Johnny on a Spot, directed by James Naughton. And Roger Reese, who is appearing in An Uneasy Chair at Playwrights Horizons Theatre, originally from England, where he was co-artistic director of the Bristol Old Vic for two seasons. 
He was first introduced to American audiences in the title role of Nicholas Nickleby, for which he won the Tony. He has acted on Broadway in films and on several television shows. And in addition to acting and directing, he is today an adjunct professor at UCLA and lectures at Columbia University. Wow. Is that me? <laughs> so. To begin, one of the things that everybody always wants to know about is um, your training and how you got started. But I'm going to ask a specific question, and I'll throw it out to the panel and see who wants to start. When was the moment when you knew you absolutely had to be an actor and nothing was going to stop you? I saw Anne Frank in the diary. I mean, I saw Susan Strasberg in the diary of Anne Frank, and I was so moved. I didn't know anything about the theater. I had not seen a play before I was in college. And I stayed in the theater till they kicked me out. So I thought there was something about it <laughs> that was moving, very moving. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was taken to the, um, the Old Vic. The, the, the school uh, I was at was in South London. And they took me to the Old Vic, the very famous uh, uh, home of Shakespeare on the South Bank in London. And uh, I was the one kid in the class, you know, that, that, the one kid in the class who has this thing. And I, we, we were up in the gallery, and I remember seeing The Merchant of Venice. Um, and... Uh, I wanted to be on that stage, you know, that was it. And, and all the other kids were, you know, throwing things and, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> messing around. But I was, I was mesmerized, yeah. There were two things. One, I did a, a, when I was in the sixth grade here in New York at uh, PS 87, I played Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. I think it took me about a year and a half to learn the part because I had no idea what I was saying. <laughs> and after I got through doing this huge part, the principal, I said, a bah humbug. And the principal came up to me and, and he said he enjoyed it except he thought it was bah humbug, not bah humbug, <laughs> which was my first criticism. So, <laughs> well, I did, so I decided that I'm going to get this right. You know, for this guy. And the other thing was, I saw Oklahoma, which was the first play I saw here, and when Judd was killed, I was convinced he was dead. And that was the end of him. And my, I was with my mother, and she said, you'll see at the curtain call that there's an actor playing that part. I said, no, the guy shot him, he's dead. <laughs> and, I, and she said, wait, you'll see. And came the curtain call, and the actor came out and took a bow and said, see, and I said, that's not him. <laughs> <laughs> the guy I saw is dead. We're never going to see him again. So I thought if it could be that real, this might be good. <laughs> I also had an experience, I think, when I first wanted to act was in school. I was watching... I was not yet in high school, but I was watching the high school musical from the first row, which starred Peter Scolari, who went to my high school, and Jordan Thaler, who is now a casting director at The Public. And I actually, they were both wonderful in it. And um, at that moment, I thought, I really want to do this. I didn't know that I wanted to do it as a career, but I did do it all through high school. And I think my mother, it's sort of corny, but my mother, we went to see a chorus line when it was at The Public, when it was in workshop, when I was a child, and I thought, well, there it is. <laughs> it's all lined up for me to see, and I think that's what started me on my road. Um, I'm not exactly sure <laughs> what it was. Uh, I think I got out of undergraduate and um, didn't see any other feasible options, really. <laughs> <laughs> Uniquely underqualified for everything. Um, but I had done a lot of plays in, in college, and so I auditioned for graduate schools and thought maybe if I got in one that uh, I could try to do that. 
Well, sounds very sane. <laughs> um, I, I acted as a kid in school a lot, but I never took it very seriously. In my junior year in college, uh, I wandered into the theater for the first time, for the first time uh, since I'd been in college. And they were auditioning for a show, and the guy said, okay, who's next? And the girl who was sitting next to me, who knew me, did that. And uh, so he said, come on. And I said, no, I'm not here to audition. I basically was just trying to keep from going to the library to <laughs> study for an exam. And he said, come on. And he got me up, and I auditioned. And then afterwards, he said to me, um, he said, you've obviously been on the stage before. Um, are you a freshman? And I said, no, I'm a junior. He said, well, where have you been? And I said, uh, I've been playing soccer and baseball. <laughs> he said, oh, you're one of those, huh? And I said, yeah. So he said, well, you know, I think if you wanted to do this, you could. And I said, could? You mean, you mean? And he said, yes. And I said, but I just, uh, I just read a scene. And he said, yeah, I know, but I've been in this business for 40 years, and if you wanted to, I think you could. And that was the first time that I ever thought about the idea of actually doing it for a living. I use the term for a living very loosely. <laughs> and um, so I said, well, how do I get there from here? And he said, you take my class, which is a scene study class. It meets every afternoon for three hours a day. And I said, that's a lot of time. And he said, yeah, it is. And then in a year and a half, when you graduate, you go to Yale Drama School. <laughs> so that's what happened. Where were you at this point? What school? I was at Brown. Okay. And I Billy, think you mentioned undergraduate. Where were you? I was at uh, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Okay. I'm sorry, Jim. Go on. I was just going to say that. So I did what he what he su suggested, and uh, I think it was my second day at Yale a year and a half later when I realized I was in the right place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I thank him, Jim Barnhill, wow. Providence, Rhode Island, Brown University, for picking me up and saying, "This is where you belong, boy." I want to segue from, from that into training because I think that I mean, there, there are certain things that, that can, <coughs> skills and crafts that can be learned and there are certain things that you can't learn, but what, what, how important is, is training? You went to NYU, did you know? Yeah, uh, well, uh, the training as far as I was concerned, I'm, when I was trying to decide whether or not to go to school, uh, I was pretty pragmatic about it and I thought, well, I better get an MFA, a Master's in Fine Arts, so that when you I can can't act, yeah, I can That's teach. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, so, but then you learn all sorts of tools in school, and they sort of set you on a path out into uh, the business. And um, I think without school, I would not have been capable of of, uh, of doing the work or getting the opportunities that I've had to to work. Uh, it just provided essential tools, a sense of um, a, a starting place for learning about what it was that I wanted to do. And um, I guess in some ways, uh, a, a level of confidence that, you know, you have something singular. So. That's great. You two met at Northwestern, did you not? Mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. We went to Northwestern. I was a year ahead of Dick. and. I think we sort of fell in love when we were doing a production of Zelda. And the Disenchanted, yeah. The Disenchanted, yeah. yes. And Dick was directing me, and I hadn't really worked like that before as an actress. And um, so I stayed an extra year because he was a year behind me. <laughs> <laughs> and I <laughs> said one year She was smarter. Work. I wasn't left back. She was just smarter. <laughs> 
And we had a wonderful teacher there, Alvina Krauss, who has since passed away, but she was a very strong theater personality. In fact, she had been a gym teacher, so when you got up on the stage, you had to be physical, you had to be alive, your voice had to be big, and you had to come from inside what you were doing, and if not, she'd punch you. I mean, she was a tiny old lady, do you know? But she had such power and such strength. And we had a wonderful time working with her in the summer, too. Yeah, she had a, she, a uh, Eagles Merit Playhouse. She was, I went to the High School of Performing Arts here in New York, which was wonderful training. Uh, just great to have something like that on a high school level. It was amazing. And then got to Northwestern just kind of luckily. I, 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 the, the people at the school at that time didn't know much about what theater programs were in uh, colleges, but I, I kind of luckily got there. And this teacher that Paul is talking about worked from the authors of the plays and in a very, very physical way so that you understood the author's intentions of the plays and she didn't have much time or she didn't care to spend a lot of time talking uh, what she thought is that you should be up and in action that she thought it was a waste of time actually to sit down and discuss any of these things uh, that the only time you would learn anything about these plays was to be up and in them physically so it was, it was wonderful training. And we had sections divided into the Greeks. That's why I was so interested in <laughs> Billy being in a Greek play. And so we understood style and we understood the plays, which of course can feed you for the rest of your life. There's not one Chekhov play that you can read, or even Ionesco, any of them, and not keep forever inside of you. And I've got grown children now, and th those plays are still with me. And I can now look at them from different points of view and say, got it. I might not have gotten it then, but I went through trying to pick up what it was. And so that was exciting because you knew that these people were talking about human behavior. And as you grow older, you begin to explore human behavior. What is it? And that's what feeds your interest in it for a long, long time. That's great. Roger, I think we, we Americans sense that the training is different and more perhaps rigid in England. Is that the case or is, it, is that a... Uh, for me, it was... Um different because I didn't train at all uh, as it, uh, you can see from my performances <laughs> I actually observed I was a uh, I was at uh, university uh, I was at the Slade School of Fine Arts I was a painter and that's right next door in London to uh, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art and so I'd be going to work struggling along the road with very large canvases you know <laughs> balanced on roller skates trying to get along the road and there'd be kids going into RADA with a pair of sneakers and a, a penguin edition of Macbeth or something, you know, and I think oh, I'm doing the wrong thing here. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, so I, I, uh, m my father uh, uh, sadly died and uh, I had to work and I'd been painting scenery in, uh, in uh, the school holidays, so I did that all the time, I, professionally, and, uh, and I was painting scenery at a South London theatre and um, they wanted a kid to be in a play and the uh, acting manager, it's like a fairy story, mm -hmm. the a man called Arthur Lane, he said, would you like to be in a play week after next? And I was in a play. <laughs> <laughs> so I started from that, and then I just had to keep running to the library all the time. I had to keep looking up words and finding out what these things mean, and, uh, and struggle through. And then I auditioned for the Royal Shakespeare Company, and they said, uh, you know, go away, your voice is terrible, and I probably said, what do you mean? <laughs> 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 but I, I realized eventually, and... Uh, I worked on that and uh, then auditioned again and I got into the Royal Shakespeare Company with a mate of mine, Ben Kingsley, and we spent two years 
uh, moving scenery, carrying Peggy Ashcroft around, and <laughs> we never, never speaking, never speaking, never having a line, you know. Uh, we, and then we got little parts, and you know, but it was only by, by the exercise of observing and learning and, and failing very, very remarkably, you know, that we actually sort of found a voice. Interesting for me, I moved from someone who didn't talk, a painter, to someone who has to explain himself, an actor. So it's, it was an interesting journey. I sort of became verbal instead of hidden, and that was interesting. But um, that's sort of where I... So I've, I've trained uh, by, by looking, really. Sort of on-the-job well, copying, I think, probably. Uh, copying some of the greatest actors, I, I believe, in the world, you know, uh, and trying really to imitate them. Is yeah. that... I mean, that, that, that sounds like a secret. <laughs> I mean, copying people. Is that something that... that you well, know, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing, mm -hmm. moving from the inner world where you were painting to one where you were talking and yeah. acting. That's a kind of a secret, isn't it? And the way to do that... Be to look Very at scary. I was given a part yes. in The Winter's Tale once, a lord right at the end. And everyone else had spoken in the play, you know, it was one of my first parts, and everyone else had spoken. And then it was my turn. And I was so catatonically frightened mm. that it just came out as monosyllables. And they took it away from me. They wouldn't <laughs> let me have it. You know, they, they said, we'll, we'll give it to someone else. <laughs> 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 I wanted to try so hard, you know. Uh, yeah. Roger touched on something that's come out in our seminars on performers. Why going to school and what, is it, what does it do to you all those years? And, and one of the things that came out was just what Roger said, is that you don't have to waste time going to do research on a part. It's given to you, you know the background, you've had some history on it, you've had some experience with it in training, and therefore it enables you, it frees you a bit to go on with the part rather than have to go and not only look up words, but look up what the period was and what Absolutely. was going on yeah. at that time. And it, it, it really is an important part of, of theater training, I would think. I think it, it also gives waste. you a it's sense of confidence and entitlement. Yeah. I know, actually, I went through undergraduate yeah. and then I went to, um, I also went to get my MFA and I went out to California to CalArts. And I went for one year and in order to get some scholarship money, I had to get um, my financial independence. So I took a leave of absence, went back to my boyfriend in New York, who was a writer at the time, <laughs> and um, I stayed in New York. But what happened to me then is about a year later, I, um, I went to Williamstown. I, early on, I went and became a non-equity actress at Williamstown, and I had a very defining moment when I was um, one of three people called back for Les Liaisons Dangereuses, for a wonderful plum role, and it was um, for the non-equity, whatever non-equity actress would get this. And I knew that um, John Rubenstein was directing, and I thought, this is great, this is wonderful. Well, I knew that I was the first choice, and then he said, you know, you're, you're wonderful, but let me see, can you, I, this is a period piece, let's bring it into the period. And I suddenly, what went through my mind may not have been that I was unqualified, but it was, I never finished my training. I don't know how to do this. Now, that may not have been true. It probably wasn't true. But what happened to me is I convinced myself that because I had left before the Chekhov and Shakespeare year <laughs> at, at graduate school, that I wasn't, I wasn't trained and I wasn't ready. And so for me, it became about, because I've always been one who really, really does so much reading and studying, and, and that's how I get where I want to go. But this was, it became such a roadblock, and I knew as I was doing the audition, I was handing it away. I was giving it away, I completely froze up, I could not, I couldn't do a thing. And from that point on, I continued, I went and I started studying with Nikos 
Sakharopoulos during the year. And I really studied, and I, I got to the point where I thought, I could have done it then, but I know now that I can because I, I feel trained. I think it also gives you a sense, well, the training, for me did at least, that y you can fail repeatedly in big, bold ways in a comfortable <laughs> environment, uh, which is not always the case when you're out and working. Uh, and I, I, to me, that's where real growth and uh, change occurred, was when you're testing out what's truthful to you and what's not truthful and trying to find a way to continue rep repeating that or, 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 or moving in a specific direction, and that's by testing the boundaries of it. And I, that provided a really safe environment, I found, for that. That's great. I want to I move on to directors. We have a, several people on this panel who are actors and also directors. And I guess the first question I want to ask is, as actors, have you ever worked with an absolutely brilliant director? And if so, what did that director give you that other directors didn't? Well, why not? <laughs> James. Well, I've worked with some, yeah, some, some very talented directors. Uh, I, just, I just flashed on something that happened when I was in the drama school. Uh, if you're a student in a drama school, you, by definition, you don't know anything. <laughs> uh, that's what they tell you. And they tell you that they're going to tear down all of the uh, mannerisms that you have and get rid of all those things and make you a, a blank slate. And then they're going to build you back up and then you're going to graduate and bec become a wonderful actor. Well, they're very good at tearing you down. <laughs> I see some things haven't changed. <laughs> but they're not so great at building you back up. The blank slate part was the easy part. But I remember that... Uh, a generous director named Larry Eric came in to work with the company, the Yale Rep Theater, and he did a workshop with the students. And Jill Eikenberry and I were in class together, and we were working on a scene from Hatful of Rain, some very naturalistic American drama. And uh, we, we, did our, we did the scene, and the class tore us apart. And then uh, Larry said, okay, I want you to come back next week, and these are the things I want you to work on. And so we went away, and we rehearsed by ourselves, which is always difficult. And we came back the next week, and we did it, and he said, well, I'll never forget this. It was so important to, to me. He said, well, you have technique. Imagine uh, being told that you have technique. <laughs> we looked at him as if someone had given us a great gift, and he said, well, we, we asked you to do this, this, and this, and you went away, and you achieved those goals. So you have technique. It was the first nice thing anybody said to us in three years <laughs> in the drama school. And... Um, that kind of generosity, I think, um, was something that I never forgot because it all of a sudden made it possible for me to move on. Nikos Sakharopoulos was a, a, a gifted coach and teacher. Some people would say he wasn't a great director, but I worked with him quite a lot in Williamstown years after uh, the drama school. And the thing that he did, he, he was also a very generous heart. And he would constantly cast me in roles for which I wouldn't have cast me in a million years. And so I discovered that I could do things that I didn't think I could do before. That's one of the functions of the drama school, and I think that's what Billy was talking about. But um, for directors to be able to enable you to do something that maybe you didn't think you could do or might have trouble doing, that's what the great directors, I think, 
can I do. I think what James is saying, he's used the word twice, uh, I think, generosity, and that's a very, very big thing. You are uh, given an act, I think actors are like thoroughbreds anyway, and you sh they should be treated in a very, very special way. And some people abuse them in, because they've got their hearts and souls in their hands. Actors are very vulnerable and they want to expose themselves. And you're, you're, a director's given a, a gift of, of actors giving themselves like that. And any a director who, you know, uh, violates that is doing a terrible, terrible thing because you close the actor down and the actor then becomes doing all the safe things they've always done, and you rely on those things like, that you've always gotten away with and stuff like that. So I, I, I've got to protect myself here. And you get into a very kind of negative thing. The, the great directors are generous and open and, uh, and, and, and treat you in a, in, a, in a wonderful way. So you feel there's a real safety net out there. And I did a play once with Milos Forman uh, here, and he said, uh, we all, are, we all have to be stupid here. He said, we have to be stupid people. Um, uh, we have to do everything stupid. He said, there can be nobody here who says, I don't think we should do that. I, don't, I, I think that may not be right. He said, we'll never know unless we're very stupid and try it. Uh, and I was trying to do some piece of business going over a suitcase or something. <laughs> I, I said, this, I don't think this is funny. I don't think this is work. He said, well, you've only done it once. So far, it's not funny. He <laughs> said, but if we stop now, we'll never know. <laughs> Do you, you know? Um, it's that kind of generosity that I think you look for. And I think the, the great directors are like that. It, it, Roger, with Nicholas Nickleby, certainly those of us who saw it felt that it was an extraordinary experience for everyone who was involved with it. Was it, sure. for all of you, the experience that we... Yes, um, uh, life-involving, life-changing, yes, completely. Uh, and we, I, uh, the Nicholas Nickleby experience was, uh, it was just that we were the actors who were there. I mean, I re it really, we were just the lucky people who were in it. And it, for us, it was as eloquent and moving an experience as it was for the audiences every night, I think. It was a very, it's a wonderful, I think, I I was talking to James earlier, it was a, just a wonderful story, Richard, perhaps. Um, uh, but uh, the thing that Trevor Nunn did, and really I was sort of like, I, I was sort of like lead, his leading man in lots of plays. As he got big, bigger and better things to do, I sort of, so I was in, I played Antiphilus of Syracuse, and I played Malcolm in his Macbeth, and things like that. So I gradually sort of grew up as he grew up, and uh, he did this thing that Richard talked about, which is to say, to encourage you not only to do the thing that others don't expect of you, but to do the thing you don't expect of yourself. To go to a place that you didn't know you might journey to. And uh, therefore, I think his premise might be that you can only be good after you've been bad. And really, if you go in knowing what's good, then it's brittle and ossified and stiff. And you just do that, and you do that in the next play and the next play. But he encouraged you to sort of be just... Uh, raucously uh, disarranged and uh, uncomfortable and it was really good and so you do a speech badly then at least when you do it the next time you know oh well I won't do it that way because that that didn't feel so good and and that was a wonderful thing I, if I, I to sum him up and he, I think him, him a gr gr very great director explaining vast epic plays in a small domestic uh, uh, confrontations um, is that he's uh, loving but frank and demanding, you know, and I think that's what an actor needs. You need someone who's going to encourage you but say, no, you, it, might, it might be better than that. And so that experience with him was, uh, I think, 
what made Nicholas Nickleby such a wonderful thing for us all and what I learned from him, yeah. Can you make any general comparison between American directors and English directors? No, I don't think there's any difference mm -hmm. throughout the world in, in the... Uh, you know, I, th I believe that... Um, this might shock some people, but I don't think plays are necessary. I believe that the human being is interesting enough, you know, it's not plugged in anywhere, it's not a TV set. It, and just to watch somebody on stage would be a very interesting thing, I think, if we could only get attuned to that. So I think, you know, there's bad plays and there's bad directors and there's good plays and, 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 and bad plays throughout the world, really. It's, uh, um, perhaps we, we, in England, uh, think of the words first and the, and, and the ex, ex, sort of the, and the experience less. And uh, that's the kind of generalization that they say, isn't it? That we think about the words, uh, the English and uh, the British and, uh, and the Americans. The big example being, uh, is it John Gilgood and uh, Marlon Brando in the film of uh, Julius Caesar, when mm -hmm. Gilgood is almost like a verse-speaking machine, but not really very much like a man, perhaps. And Brando, on the other end, is so human, so fantastically real, but the words are somewhat of an impediment to him. And that, uh, and, that, and that you want to be somewhere in the middle, you know, you want to be at a moving point, you want to be a person who speaks like that. And I think wherever we are in the world, if we find a person who speaks the words of the, play, the playwright, then that's good acting, directing, or whatever. Yeah. For those of you who are both directors and actors, is it easy to shift gears? Well, um, I always thought someday I'd, I'd like to direct, or I might like to direct, I didn't know. Uh, I was too busy acting at the time. But I always knew that the best part of acting for me was the rehearsal process. And that the playing of the show afterwards was difficult because it involved a lot of repetition. And finally it just got to the point where I, I had to direct. And uh, I did it and I loved it. Because it was all about the rehearsal process. It was all about the discovery. And um, Maria Tucci is an actress with whom I've, I've done a lot of plays. And uh, the first time I directed, we were doing Philomena, which she was playing the title role in. We were in Williamstown, and it was my first time as a director. And I was sitting in the chair. I frankly didn't know if I would be bored sitting in the chair for eight hours. I just didn't know, because I hadn't done it. Well, I was there, and I was in the chair, and they were acting, and then the stage manager would come to me and say, Jim, you have to give them 10 minutes. They need a break. And I go, oh, okay. Everybody take 10. And then somebody would come over and say, listen, on set, and I'd talk through the break, and then I'd say, where is everybody? They'd say, well, they're outside. Now, when I was an actor in that same rehearsal space, I was outside lying on the grass going, come on, Nikos, we'll be back in a few minutes. Give us a few more minutes. We'll be there. Don't worry about it. Next thing I know, I'm standing there, and I'm looking at the cast, and they're all lying on the grass. I'm going, hey, come on, let's go. Let's go. Come on. And Maria just sat there, and she looked up at me. I'll never forget it. She looked up at me. And I saw her looking at me. <laughs> and I looked at her and yeah, I know. Who knew? It's very exciting. And, uh, and, I could, and then it was 6 o'clock, and he'd say, well, it's over for today. And I go, that's it? <laughs> Boy, it went by like that. So. What did you contribute? <laughs> you have to ask Maria that question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll Dana. get her back here. By the Dana was in one of the shows. I was in, I absolutely was. What did, Jim is a, even if you weren't in the room, <laughs> I would say Jim is a wonderful director because perhaps he's an actor. But I don't know that every actor can direct because you really do have to see everything. And we were in a Charles MacArthur play that required 
it's not only technique <laughs> and a lot of it because of timing and you really needed these scenes sharp, but also, <laughs> dare I say it, Jim actually had to also be in the show because the actor that he cast unfortunately got a movie before, <laughs> right before we were supposed to start. Wow. And he resisted and resisted and resisted, but finally everyone convinced him to do it. And two days before well, rehearsal. Two days before rehearsal. So, but you could see how much happier you were sitting in the director's chair and being able to shape the scenes. He's, he's terrific, and I think part of it is because he's an actor, especially doing a show which required a lot of um, timing and things that required technique, is that he also, within there, though, the most important thing was how humans behave in a given situation, and then also to answer the phone on time. <laughs> you know, Millie Dunnick uh, taught a... Uh, a, a workshop when I was a student at Yale and she came in and she said I don't know if I'd be very good at this she said I've spent my life being an actress and that means that I have looked at everything from a subjective point of view from the yeah. point of view of the character I don't know if I'll be very good at this directing or teaching this class because that requires objectivity and she went at it for some time and then she discovered that she was frustrated by it and she wasn't she didn't think she was very good at it so she said I tell you what let's do let's act you play Biff, and I'll play Linda Lohman, <laughs> and you play Happy. And so we did scenes from Death of a Salesman with Mildred Dunnick, wow. and that was quite wonderful, and I learned a lot from her that way. Yeah. But that speaks to, that, to the difference Absolutely. between acting and directing sure. or teaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you direct, you don't know. I never knew this, but um, the actors talk about you in the corner while you're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> what does he mean? What does he mean? <laughs> They, you can see them talking to each other about you in the corner. <laughs> it's horrible. Do you, when you're directing, do you then say, well, look, I mean to do it this way. I'll show you. Or do you just wait and oh, keep letting them evolve well, what you want? Which you wouldn't know about. I, I, I don't know about... I, I try not to show people what I mean. I think that... that I, I, I don't know why I feel that's an intrusion. But I think, I, I think we all act in a way particular to our sort of dimensions. And I, I think that probably to show someone how to do something is, is not so good. I, I've learned that. I, th I, I found myself sometimes sort of trying to demonstrate, and it's always inadequate, I think, because you're not them, and, mm -hmm. and it's, it feels a bit disrespectful somehow, I think. Have you ever directed yourself? <laughs> yeah, I just, I just did that, actually, for the first time in a film, and um, <laughs> I actually said to myself, <laughs> action. <laughs> <laughs> through I said cut to myself <laughs> I realized we were about to start and there wasn't anyone else to say it you know it was kind of it was kind of nuts and that's so schizophrenic you know uh, uh, yeah I've done it I've done it twice now I didn't think I'd ever want to do it because actually in directing a movie is it's it's an athletic event do you, do you know I mean it's it's really running a marathon and the days that I was acting I thought, oh no, I have to go get dressed, you know, and I have to get makeup on, and I, I don't have time and all of that, but it was okay. I don't know what it would be like to do it in, you know, in a, in a, in a big thing, um, because they are, they are very different things. One eye is out there looking, and the other one is, you know, inside and stuff, so. I just want to ask, um, the Blue Light Theater Company, we've he heard uh, a couple of times, Billy's in the show there, that is, a theater company, as several are in New York now, that's, that was started by actors mm -hmm. um, in the sort of fine tradition of the actor-manager. Um, is this a good idea? 
Let me ask James Naughton, since it's a Naughton family enterprise. Well, the actor manager in question is my son, Greg. Uh, <laughs> he started this company about four years ago. What's the name of the company? The Blue Light Theater Company. Thank you very much. <laughs> and um, he wanted to start a company where young actors could work with uh, veteran actors on challenging material because I think he felt that a lot of the auditions that he was getting at that time were for plays that weren't very challenging uh, or parts they weren't and so they've really tried to do things they did uh, the first play they did was Tom Stoppard's Dogs Hamlet Cahoots Macbeth and uh, that was kind of an exercise it started out as a staged reading but Greg just took the ball and made it a, a full-blown production negotiated with Samuel French and uh, rented a theater, the Ubu Rep down on 28th Street, and got a company together, and B.H. Berry uh, directed it, and the thing became a, a whole showcase. And he was encouraged by people who saw it to do more, so they incorporated it as a not-for-profit, and he drafted his mother, uh, my, my wife Pam, to be his director of development, because you needed somebody who would work 24 hours a day for nothing. <laughs> Better to ask than your mother. <laughs> so we've been, uh, we've been in support of trying to raise funds for this company, and now I think they've done seven or eight productions in the last three years. I did Golden Boy with him. He played the fighter, and I played his manager, and Joanne Woodward directed. And Greg and I were fighting over the same woman, which was kind of interesting, <laughs> played by Angie Phillips. Um, and now Billy's doing... Uh, Oedipus with uh, Francis McDormand and uh, John DeVries and, and Carolyn McCormick and a whole bunch of wonderful actors. So it's very ambitious. How was that chosen? And, and how, who did the casting on it? How did that come about? To get Billy, for example? And Maybe you could speak uh, to that, Billy. Greg just called me one day. I, ra I ran into him on the street about two years ago. And uh, I knew his sister, Kira, because we were in school together. She's an actor, too. At uh, NYU, and uh, and I had seen Dogs Hamlet, Cahoots Macbeth, and uh, I really admired what he was trying to do with his company. So I ran into him about two years ago on the street, and I said, "If there's, you know, ever anything uh, that comes up, an opportunity to work with you and your company, that'd be great. Give me a call." And so he called me uh, this past summer, and so we just started talking for a while, and then I talked with the director, and, and that was about it. So you didn't have to audition for it? No, no, I didn't audition for this. I, I think if I would have auditioned, I might not have gotten this. <laughs> is, is auditioning a necessary evil, or is there... A... Well, I, I, um, I'm, I'm not sure what the alternative is. Uh, a telephone call in this instance. Well, uh, to some extent, yeah, with people, uh, quite often, they're, they're, uh, you meet so many people as an actor, I find, that, or... As in, in any part of this field, uh, from show to show to show to show. So there are numerous people that you admire that I'm sure after a while you begin to build an association with, a trust with. And I, I think that's essentially what you want when you do a, when you do a show, whether a film or, or a television or theater, is to have a group of people who trust one another. Because a collaborative artistic endeavor is... I mean, if you can imagine 20 people getting together with a canvas and saying, all right, we are going to paint the painting. <laughs> Everybody the gets a color and a brush, and it just seems impossible to me. So I, I think that what you need is a lot of uh, trust and faith and goodwill towards one another. So a lot of that 
comes about through the people that you know and have worked with together. You, you two are re replacing some formidable actors in power plays, Alan Arkin. And, and we <laughs> know, of course, their children who are in the play with us. Because I worked with Jeannie in a movie called Move One Time, and then I, we knew Tony Arkin when we did Catch-22, and Tony was two. <laughs> and now he's playing, he's 30 now. And um, I think you worked with Jeannie, too, in Portnoy's Complaint. Yeah. yeah, so we sort of knew the children of these, these wonderful actors, and... Um, I had met Elaine off and on, but I worked with Alan in Catch-22 and in The Last of the Red Hot Lovers in the, the movies. So we did know one another there, and it's so much fun. First of all, it's like getting onto a moving train, jumping onto these plays, and then just running with them. And we have these wonderful co-stars, and when we're up in the dressing room every night, Jeannie and I start the minute we get together on the, the play and what's going on, particularly in that first play that we're doing. And it's wonderful. It's so exciting. And it's all the stuff that when I went to Northwestern, uh, I, I thought, this is going to be what it's like. But I had to wait 40 years because I, I uh, got into the movies by luck. So I got sort of sidetracked from what, was what I thought I wanted to do at Northwestern. And here again, you pick up years later, you pick up something you think, Gosh, look at this. This mm. is fun. This is, look at, look at this script. And they've written these plays. You know, Alan has written uh, one of them, and Elaine has written two of them, and they're just delicious. You know, you could just eat them. They're so, they're so <laughs> wonderful. So, yes, we did know them before, but to work creatively with people like this has been wonderful. And, and, and what Billy just said is there's a big word there, trust. Yeah. Because the first two plays are, are playing singles, tennis singles. There's just two people. And Paul is with Jeannie, and the second one I'm with Tony, and there's just me and Tony, you know, and, and I trust him, you know, and that trust, you know, uh, being shot out of a cannon like this because they'd been doing the plays for months, and, and we just kind of got, you know, went into them uh, with a very n a nice rehearsal period and all of that. But still, I can look across the stage and look in his eyes, and I can see he's ready to catch me. If, 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 if need be. They're so know. generous. They're such uh, generous and that, that thing that you're talking about is the, is, the greatest, is the greatest thing, and that goodwill and all of that. And um, I can imagine it would be like in a big company like Nicholas Nickaby, you know, that you, there, there's everybody, you know, out there to, together in this kind of combat condition, do you, yeah. do you know? And if there's any kind of that thing of, you know, ill will or stuff that goes on or can go on, in theater companies or in any anything in any company in any business or anything you know it's got to be legislated out there's there, there's no place for it in there there's no place for it you're out on a high wire you know in a trapeze act and you need someone to to to, to catch you and they have to feel the same way about you I also think it's, it's a wonderful movement that people like you are willing to come to New York and to be in plays that other people have started. I think that's a wonderful movement for the theater, and I support mm. it entirely. Well, you know, not only that, a voice comes up, and I, I'll bet everybody here feels it and says, uh, you have to go do this, you know. Do you, you know me? Uh, do you remember what you went into this for in the first place, <laughs> did, you know? The purity of it, there's nothing like it. You know, you're out there for two hours, and. 45 minutes, you're out there for longer. We <laughs> 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 just started the second act. <laughs> uh, and you're, you're, you're running a long, a long race, and you, it's what we did it for in, in the first place, not to do 
six lines at a time or something, uh, you right. know, in a, in a film or something. Ted, uh, you mentioned the word audition a minute ago. Mm -hmm. And I would think that some of the people here would like to hear, I'd like to hear what some of you have to say about auditioning, because that's a, that's a... It's a dirty word. Well, it's a part of this business that's different from the work, and it's a, a you know, very You know an interesting thing that I find, if I, if I may, that if I'm casting a movie uh, and coming to New York, this is the greatest thing here. Uh, Tony Award-winning actors who are in plays will come in, and there's never a question. There's no thought, and you'll get this in other places, where they'll say, I don't audition, you know, and yet you say, well, wait a minute, I'm going to read you a list of people who can't wait to come in and say, they're, they're starring on Broadway, they've just won a Tony and said, where do, I, where do I read? How much of this do you want me to do it all? Do, you know, it's the greatest thing in the world for a director because, first of all, they're great actors, they certainly don't have to audition for anything, and what they're really saying, I can give you, you want to see some things here, some colors you never would have seen or known or, or anything, that's the, really the way the way to be. You're a little suspect of, you know, saying, I don't audition, you know. Uh, and maybe there are people, certain places in their careers that their advisors would say, oh, well, you better not do that. But the, on the other side of that, when you come here and see these great actors who can't, can't wait to do it, it means nothing to them to go and give you this, you know. It's, and they're theater actors. I found in uh, California, lots of times, when I first went there, I was auditioning for movies and uh, TV things, that I'd go along and it's a very interesting uh, step I made for myself, I felt. Uh, I'd go along and I, I would try to be an open book. I would offer them anything. I would say, well, how would you like this? And I realized that that's not any good to them. It, it, you know, just being um, the blank page when you go into an audition isn't useful. But, you know, I, you know what, what do you want? Tall, short, Jewish, Scottish, I can do anything. <laughs> they, they think you don't know what you want to do. They think you haven't got... And I learned through that that, that really it's much be better to really learn the sides at home, really learn them, really have an attitude to that, to that uh, piece of material and just go and give that. Now, you stand a chance of being very, very wrong, but at least you go in there with a definite uh, attitude and opinion about the piece of material you've received. And I find that's very, very valuable. You give them something strong and, and you get a little reward at the end of the day is that you go home and you know that you've acted that day. You know, and that's a, you feel good too. That's uh, yeah. the thing that seems to be... That, that you, I, the, um, I was auditioning for Arcadia, which was the first Broadway play that I got. And uh, when I first went in, all, my entire audition was about getting the part. It had nothing to do with playing the role. <laughs> or it was all about getting the part and doing, pleasing them, finding whatever it was. And I didn't get a call back. And uh, so I started to understand what the casting director was saying. Uh, as I left, and uh, <laughs> which was not helpful at the time, but I said, you know, if there's any way I can get back in or whatever, uh, I, I, I've, I've learned something from the audition, and I think I can. And at any rate, they said, no, that, you know, you're just not quite right for it, so uh, we'll, we'll move on. But it was such an exceptional part that I continued to work on it with a friend of mine who was uh, not working at the time. And we had a great time working on, uh, on this scene. And then two weeks went by, and they couldn't find anybody, and I had just got fired from another job. <laughs> so I was considering whether or not I wanted to act in any place, but they couldn't find someone else. And since I had been working on it, I looked at it as an opportunity to go in and play the part for, 
for myself. This was the one chance that I would get. And it was a really exciting experience. So there would, the, the pressure of getting the role was sort of released. And the excitement that I've always had towards acting was magnified because you get the opportunity for something. So How did you get back in? Um, they couldn't find anybody else. At the time. <laughs> and did you offer yourself, or did your agent? Oh yes, yeah. And I, you, I you worked with the, the casting director yourself? several times before we went back in to meet with the director. So, I think what Roger just said about learning the material is so important, and I just discovered it within the last few years. I think for years and years I would kind of go in and do the reading. They call it a reading, so you read, and uh, and I think I, I lost a lot of work that way. Um, because I, I was not really secure and, or sure about what I was going to do. Yeah, and I think the other thing that was working was, well, I don't want to want this job too much. So <laughs> what I'll do is I just won't make too much of a commitment to the material. And that way I'll protect myself. And of course, then you go in and you give a lousy, very generic kind of audition and you don't get the job. Uh, yeah, and in L.A., that's really bad because you've driven two hours to get to a studio <laughs> and you've got, you've got your suit on and inevitably you have to drive very very upset two hours back all on your own now, at least in new york you can go and buy a book or something or you can go to a dance class <laughs> yeah that's very good I, I, the thing that turned the corner for me was that one at one of these things i was doing like that telephone that terrible telephone <laughs> signal I was going like this with the script in my hand, and, and, the, and the woman said, uh, w w Would you like a telephone? We can uh, give you one. And, um, and I realized that they expect you really to be absolutely real, because they don't know about what this fear we have, or this not wanting to appear that you want it too much, or that you don't care, or that you're uh, you know, cavalier about it. They, they, they want to see a very real thing, just there, like that. And so you're right. To, I learned that thing, just to commit to that reading, James, is, I think... Well, exactly I just right. learned it. I mean, just... <laughs> yeah, I did, Years too. I wasted. I, about four years ago, I, I wanted to do some plays, so I got into this play about incest, and I had a huge monologue, and I went, do you know Salome Jens at uh, mm -hmm. UCLA? Mm -hmm. She used to go to mm -hmm. Northwestern, so I said, I'm going to go to Salome's class once again, because I'll at least get to work on it before my peers. And I had to learn once again where I was coming from, so that it was genuine and so for me and so even for the smallest audition that I had after that which of course I got rejected at time and time at least I took home that I had worked on it in the way that I had been in the class going after everything so that it meant something to me and it, it that became what was important that I had a way of working once again yeah. even if it's for an audition that a bunch of people are looking at and you know they may or may not appreciate what you're doing but you've appreciated it are you nervous? Yes, always. Mm. Mm -hmm. I am. That always. never goes away. No. That helps. Does it? If you can, it can. Get or like it can a horse also over hinder. here. You can also <laughs> completely lock up. I actually, uh, you know, reveal something very personal. Is that um, just prior to my husband's accident, I decided all I was doing was commercials and the odd play in the summer. And I thought, this is not, I'm not engaging my mind fully. I'm going to do something else with my life because this isn't, I've done it. I have a child. I'm having fun. I'm going to go get my doctorate in psychology. So that was <laughs> my plan. And I went back to school. And that was truly, and I felt very at peace with that. And then Chris had his accident. And I spent a year just, um, we sort of reworked our life. And, and I then realized I don't want to do anything quite so real as that. I want to go back to acting. It was something I want to perform because it's so, um, 
It's a part of my life that's very different. My life is so real that this is something I'd like to do that's, that's creative and, and based on the imagination. And I discovered, and it was truly a discovery, and it's really worked since then, is that I have been set free. There is nothing that matters to me <laughs> more than what's already happened. There is nothing that could be worse than what's already happened, even getting rejected in audition. So I actually have been feeling like, fine, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I'll do whatever you want me to do because it's all fun for me. And it's all an experience that is a positive experience, even the rejections. I just closed in a show on Broadway that ran for four nights. And people are saying, well, how are you? Are you okay? And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> there are lots of things in my life that are hard. This is not one of them. And it's just, but for me it was, I got on Broadway. I was in a Broadway show. This was a goal of mine my whole life. I was in a Broadway show. We made people laugh. It was fun. You know, everything about it. There were good people. Um, I know I did a good job. And it was really, for me, it was an excellent experience. And the auditioning, and I do want to switch back to that, because last summer, um, I've worked at Williamstown many summers, and I got a call and they said, well, um, Joanne Woodward would like to read you for a play that she's directing. And we're so sorry, we're so sorry that you have to read for it. We're so sorry you have to read for it. And I thought, why are you apologizing? That I get, I have the honor of auditioning for Joanne Woodward, of working with her, of being in the same room with her, and having us interact. To me, it was, I honestly, I felt like, I don't care if I get this part. I did care. I wanted it very much. And I did get it. I really wanted it. And I did get it. And it was one of the best acting experiences of my life. And we what did, did not you do for the audition for it? We did scenes from the show, and there was already the actor was already cast, and he read with me, and we did um, the two scenes that I prepared, and it was a Clifford Odets piece, and it's if you know Clifford Odets, it's a lot of words, <laughs> there's a lot, very meaty, and this was not one of his best plays, but for an actor, it was like a feast. I can't even begin to tell you. It was an incredible experience, and even the audition was just after the audition. Then I really, 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 really wanted it because I thought, this is the woman I want to work with. I knew she was process-oriented. I had a feeling that the play would never gel, and I didn't care. And I was right on both you know, of them. You know, what Dan is talking about, I've seen her on, I've worked with her uh, recently, and I saw her last week in uh, the short-lived Broadway show <laughs> that she was in. And uh, her, re her relaxation on the stage is really, it's tremendous. And the difference between now and five years ago uh, oh, it's night and day. It is night and, and day. And it's nothing I learned in a class. It's nothing. It's truly how life takes you on this journey and you learn lessons from it. And you are given gifts along with the hardship. I mean, I think it's starting to sound like a sermon, but it's really true. And that's one of the gifts that I was given, that there's nothing that can be hard. Well, <laughs> well your, com fun. your comfort on the stage really shows. And, and yeah. it's wonderful to be in the audience and see an actor who just... Yeah. feels comfortable being there. It's, it's funny, uh, another thing that Milos Forum told me when we were doing this play, he said, don't be nervous, the audience doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I said, oh, let me just hear that one more time. <laughs> so that I won't be nervous. <laughs> okay. I want to do this right. And the, the idea is not to be nervous. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. What you're talking about really is, is being secure and knowing and that Nothing could be worse than what you've right. gone through, but also that you are where you want to be and well, you and know what there's tools joy to, to be had. There's joy to be had in an emotionally That's, sad yeah. scene. There's joy to be had in an artistic expression. And to, to really feel that, to know that this is a release. This should be. It can, we're not yeah. landing a plane. You know, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this should be a... You know, showing up for yeah. the audition, what, what did you say? And just saying, what do you want me to do? 
That's because you felt that relaxed at the time when you showed up what, with Joanne, or I think it was some uh, another uh, another audition you were talking about. But that is, that happens to me a couple of times. Usually when I go to Maine on vacation, I get there, and the day I get there, the day after I get there, I get a phone call saying you have to come back to New York to audition for something tomorrow. Uh. And uh, on two occasions when I've been there and done that, I've gotten the job because. I had to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and drive and then take a bus to Portland and get on a plane to LaGuardia and then get in a cab and come to New York. It was about a six or eight hour ordeal. And by the time I got there, I walked in and went, hey, I'm here. What do you want me to do? Yeah. Yeah. And I was relaxed. Yeah. And to be able to be this relaxed. Is a perfect time because you're, they were going to go back to this again. But we're going to just stop for a minute, stretch and stand up and do whatever you like but come right back again and we'll continue this really wonderful panel of performers that are telling us what it is to work on the theater. Thank you so much. This is CUNY TV the City University of New York. Welcome back to the American Theatre Wing Seminar on Working in the Theatre. Before we return to our gifted panelists, I would like to point out to you that the Wing is more than a sponsor of seminars and more than our famous Tony Awards, which are given for excellence in the theatre. We are an organization whose year-round programs are dedicated to serving the theater and the community with the goal of developing new audiences. And to achieve that goal, we have created audience development programs for students like Introduction to Broadway, uh, which brings, oh, an enormous amount of students to the theater. It was begun seven years ago and has enabled more than 70,000 New York City high school students to attend a Broadway show, and for many of them, for the very first time. And through our newest program, Theater in School, the theater professionals, like these on the seminar panels, go directly into classrooms to work with and talk to students about working in the theater. In addition, we have our hospital program, which dates back to World War II and our legendary stage door canteen. Today's version of the program utilizes talent from Broadway, Off-Broadway, and the cabaret world to entertain patients in nursing homes, veterans' hospitals, children's wards, and aid centers in the New York area. They all bring the magic of theater to those who cannot get to the theater itself. We are proud of the work we do and happy for a wonderful working relationship that we have with the theatrical community and grateful to everyone who makes what the American Theatre Wing does possible. And now I'd like to quickly get back to our seminars on the performance. I'd like to start part two with Ted Chapin, who is our moderator, and Ted has a question that he wants to ask to this wonderful panel of performers. So Ted, would you now ask your question and start the seminar again? Sure, thank Ted you, Isabel. Chapin. Thank you, Isabel. Um, a subject perhaps on a par with auditions in terms of controversy among the acting profession critics. And I thought I'd ask a question of Roger, which is, have you ever learned anything from a critic or 
a serious criticism of a performance. Gosh. Uh, well, I think... Uh, <clears throat> why pick on me? <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, people... Anyone connected with the theatre loves the theatre, and I, and, I, and I respect that people express their love of the theatre in different ways. And, uh, and I think, on occasion, there have been uh, some very, very useful things that people have said about me, and in retrospect, when I've thought about them uh, simply, I've, I've understood them to be right, and I've, and I've thought that other people were wrong, you know, I mean, you know just on a personal level. Because it's, it's the personal level thing that hits you, if they say, well, you, you know, she'd be good if her nose wasn't that big or something, that sort of thing. It's that, that sort of thing you can't take, and you, it inhibits you the next time you perform it. But if you think about it in, in a wider issue, then, then I think it's, a, it's very useful, although the specific is sometimes very painful and at the time, and, and I tend not now to read them until I finish something. Um, Judy, Dench, Judy Dench, the great English actress, says she never reads them, but her husband Michael told me once that she's down at Hampstead Tube, uh, at the station at the subway in Hampstead at six o'clock the next morning, <laughs> <laughs> waiting for the papers to arrive. You know, uh, so we all say that. And there was an occasion in, uh, in England of um, uh, somebody playing Falstaff, John Woodvine, for the Royal Shakespeare Company. And uh, he didn't read them either, and he went into the stage door the next morning after opening as Falstaff, and uh, he was whistling, and he went to his pigeonhole to pick up his letters, and the stage doorkeeper said, I don't know what you're whistling about, he said. <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, there's always someone who's going to tell you. You, know, <laughs> yeah, you have to be very careful. But uh, I think they do contribute something, absolutely. I think, and, uh, well, but more than that, I think they care. Um, it's just uh, sometimes painful the way it's uh, sort of explained. Yeah. <laughs> the, um I'll tell you who, <laughs> there was a critic in Boston, Elliot Norton, who was an excellent critic, and when you're out of town, it's a different story, you know? It actually can be helpful. Uh, he was very good in Boston, and he would say, you know, point out to the playwrights and the directors and everybody and say, well, you've got this going in these first two acts, but this is what's been dropped in the third act. You get so close to something, you may not know that. So a critic can be, can be helpful if you're still in that process, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but as Roger says, it's after, you know. If you, if you read the thing and everything, it's 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 glowing and everything is swell. And there's one little thing. There's uh, except for that uh, weird thing he does with his voice, you know. Well, yeah, that night, that's a, that's forget a, it, yeah. you, you, you know, because that's all you're going to be, mm. all you're going to be thinking about. It's a. It's a very, it's a very tricky thing. It's a tricky thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> Billy? Um, I, I think any discussion of the theater, period, is helpful and useful. Uh, um, I, I wish there, I, I feel like uh, theatrical cri criticism in uh, newspapers in New York, and as, as well as any other newspaper or any other media is going the way all media is, which is shorter and shorter and shorter, less space, uh, more little time, uh, I mean less time. And uh, uh, so uh, serious discussion uh, or um, taking the time to investigate something as if it's worthwhile, I think uh, is, is taking a back seat in the same way it is in all other aspects of of, uh, of contemporary news. And uh, I, I, I would wish to see uh, more criticism 
that takes the opportunity as if both the object it's reviewing and the review are worthwhile, rather than simply uh, a synopsis or an opinion, um, which I don't always think is, is useful or helpful. Um, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> but God love them, you know? <laughs> no, I don't. Does anybody, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, that's what you get for asking that question. <laughs> right. Does anybody feel that the old style of, of opening night, one performance, go back to the newspaper, write the review, is better than what happens today, where they get three days to contemplate? I think with a computer, uh, much more, much more, uh, I think on something like Nexus, you can just call up all the reviews that have ever been about a production. And then, I guess you could, if you know, just slam a lot of that into your own review, you know. As, I as think you could actually call up your own name. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And find out every horrible thing that anyone That's right. Said. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's tempting when you're on the internet to say, you know, I'll just pick out some of the reviews that I've got. Oh, God. Oh, look That's at right. that. That's right. How do I get this off the screen? <laughs> you also have, have friends that are helpful as opposed to friends who you sort of wish they wouldn't come to the early previews? Some people like to come to the very first preview. Mm -hmm. I, and, and of course, like, I suppose someone's got to be there, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> otherwise you couldn't do it. But, but people say, I'm coming to the very first preview. <laughs> and, and I think a, a rehearsing a play is just getting ready, and there's another 50% to go, which is where the play meets the audience and, and starts to grow and experience. It, it, it suddenly becomes 3D with an audience. And uh, mm -hmm. I find it very, it's a very curious obsession to come to the very first preview, I think, to see. Mm -hmm. you know, those are the same people who like to go to accidents. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> do you get hurt? Oh, yes, my goodness. Whew, it's terrible. And what happens? Pain. Mm -hmm. with, with criticism, you mean? Yeah. Literary criticism? Yeah. Well, well, I don't know whether it's literary or not. To me, it's, it's the same thing as talking about the auditions in a way. You have to come to the point where you are preparing the part so that it's so much a part of you that when that comes, you can, you can handle it, maybe, but it's always horrible. But, for instance, in these plays, we don't know if the reviewers are coming or not because we're taking over for people. It would be, I would prefer, if I can be in front of the audience, like we jumped into them very quickly, a, a while, because I'm still finding this character, do you know? Uh, and, and, and I think part of the process, I think it takes a year before you really know who this character is. So if they're coming now, we're, we're doing business, so that's the purpose of it supposedly nowadays. But if they're coming now, fine, I'll go along with it. But I would like some more time because the audience does tell you so many things and the opportunity to play in front of them. Uh, we've been playing, I think, like a month now. You know, it's just wonderful because I don't know what's going to happen tonight. Tonight's mm -hmm. Tuesday again, do you know? So there are a lot of interesting things that can happen between us. It's a, what uh, Isabel is saying, the, yes, it hurts. It hurts because, and it is like auditioning in a sense, in the, in the same kind of hurt. When you don't get a part, it's not that they didn't like your script. It's not that they didn't like your painting or your piece of music or your book, do you know? Or the, the clothes you designed or something. It's you. 
<laughs> and there's no way out of that. Do, do you know? Do you know? When someone says they went another way, you mean they cast somebody else? <laughs> That's the other way that they went. Whatever yeah. those words are, mm. when you hear them say they thought you were wonderful, I know the last part of this. Do, do, do you mm. know? Yes. The the, on, the real wonderful is when you get the part. There is no other wonderful. <laughs> you know, you gave a great audition. They think you're great. However, oh, there's the however, you know, and it's the same thing if you read those things because you're being open every single night and you're going like this. And then, you know, somebody, th these darts are, are thrown at you and, you know, are, are they deserved? I don't know, maybe yes, maybe not. But they, they hurt because you've, you've, got, you've opened yourself, so, you, know, you know, so much to those kind of things that, that uh, they hurt. But you... You get past them. But I think Dana said the exploration of the theater is the exploration of the human heart. And no matter what happens to us all along the way in life, we still turn to it because somehow we can find out something about human behavior and about ourselves. So let them say what they're going to. You can talk yourself out of the pain and go on, just like anything. You have to. Well, it's very painful. There's good protection in the, in the notion, perhaps, that you've tried your best and you've really worked as hard as you could. That's right. Uh, on that part and you think you've given it everything and you've scrutinized it and you've tried to be intelligent about it Correct. you know and given your soul to it if you believe that then I think you're you're well protected because yes. it, then it's just someone else's opinion yes that's uh, correct you have you, rather like the audition process you know if you really exactly. dedicate yourself to, as James said to the size and really you go in there and do it then it's the you same thing that. with the play you if you that. feel you've cheated yourself in your performance yes. at all then I think you are you you're you're ripe for being sort of a shot down I think. Mm -hmm. but, but there's a difference between the audition process and taking a shot from a critic in a paper for a performance that you have to go out and do again and again mm -hmm. and again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's no place, there just isn't any, any justification for personal attacks. No, I agree. Meanness. And there's too meanness. much of that. It's and that's silly. not criticism, yeah. and it's not literary. Also, no, it's no. entertainment. The much yeah. more yeah. difficult, yeah. The much more difficult review to, to write is the good one. The, is the informed, good, positive review. That's a hard, it's easy to write the, the nasty stuff. The okay. other is much more difficult, the informed, good thing. Even if it's, if it's negative and it's informed, that's a more difficult thing to write. Uh, just as, as Billy is saying, that you, things get reduced to you know, numbers, you know, one out of a five and uh, stuff like that. You know. that. That cheapens the experience, I think, of uh, criticism as far as I'm concerned, uh, when it cheapens the experience of theater by uh, not taking the opportunity to discuss something as if it's worthwhile. And um, I just think there's no place for meanness. Uh, it's yeah. such a difficult thing to do. Yeah. And uh, I, I know very few people who are involved in the theater who uh, um, are, are, are in it to make critics angry. You know, <laughs> uh, 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 but you're treated point. as if sometimes <clears throat> that's what yeah. you were trying to do. Well, perhaps they're angry already. You know. right. yeah. It's also interesting that, that the best review, the, the most interesting and well-written review that I've read of, of Corpus Christi that opened last week is in Entertainment Weekly magazine of all unlikely places. Mm -hmm. It's the only one that didn't review the event, but reviewed the play. Had problems mm -hmm. with the play, but I thought, wow, how interesting. It's, he's just like all the, everything put aside. 
here's a play. Here I am reviewing the, the play. I've That's got the one yeah. good review we got, too. Actually, we got one good review. Uh -huh. It was oh, an A qualified. It was very, yeah. very fair. And we were all proud of that. That's here for Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> Good for them. So we're going to move on to another question yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Isabel, do you have a question? Do you have, Isabel is the lady with the questions, uh -huh. I believe. You okay, the question that I have is, how do you deal with this rejection that you get? Uh, is that part of, does that come with Jim? You talked about uh, technique. Is that another word for professionalism? Well, uh, when you reach a point where you have a technique and you are a professional, and dealing you with then rejection. learn to deal with this as well? Woody Allen in his act used to say he had a dream that the letters N-O were chasing him. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know if I can speak for everybody on this panel, but I know those letters are out there. <laughs> and we deal with it all the time. Uh, anybody who is thinking of doing this know that those two letters are going to be your your buddies do, do you know they're always going to be there no matter what level you're on it's going to be there and that's part of the territory it's what we do for a living yeah mm -hmm. what yeah. we have to do for a living is in order to survive is to cope with rejection on a daily basis it's what makes auditions and criticism and those yeah. kinds of things so yeah. difficult yeah. and if you can cope with it and be a healthy person, mm -hmm. then maybe you'll get another job someday. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> because uh, if you let it get to you, then what happens is when you go in for that audition, the people meet a beaten man or woman. Mm -hmm. Someone who is just carrying the weight of the world. Mm -hmm. and, and everyone says, why would I want to work with a sad sack like that? Mm -hmm. right. So what we have to do is we have, you have to take it on the chin and in the heart and between the eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you have to go back yeah. in there and say, hey, I yes, I can. I'm yeah. back. And it goes on f forever. Yeah. You're only as good as the last thing you did. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and so it, in, order to, in order to survive, that's what you have to d deal with. And if you don't, if you can't take it, then... I hope somewhere that else. Vincent Van Gogh knows that you cannot get a ticket to that show in Washington. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A man who I think yeah, maybe yeah. sold two paintings in his lifetime, mm. but somewhere I hope, and maybe he does know, that you can't even get in there to see those paintings. <laughs> yeah. mm. We have questions from the audience, and there's not enough time for all of them, but let's start right now. Hi, my name is Dina Bogner, and I want to know if any of the panelists consider themselves to be method actors. Which method? Occasionally. It's a technique. Yeah, it's That's a technique. A technique. And with yeah. different roles, I, I find at different uh, uh, times in my very short career, I've, I've found uh, a need for every possible tool that I can <laughs> think of or somebody else has thought of. So uh, I've tried to utilize anything uh, at any time that I felt would would help help me in a role, so I guess that has included uh, that process as well. But there isn't, there aren't proselytizers of the method. Well, like when I went back to acting four years ago in part of Salome's group, there was a Saturday class where you were animals and stuff. Well, I began to understand what that was about because I was doing a scene from um, 
a delicate balance. And I decided that the character I was playing, I think, was a panther or a crow, whichever. I went to the zoo and I looked at them. Sure enough, that helped me because it helped me free my voice and it helped me free my body so that I could incorporate the words that were being spoken. So, yes, any way you can do it. Do you yeah, know what I'm I mean? Yeah, I'm a big adherent to in life, whatever works, yeah. is basically. And you're going to need to draw on so many different things and... Certainly, knowing that you know, feeling the feeling, the hot of the coffee cup, and everything, you need to be able to do that because there's going to be a time when you're going to have water in the cup, and you might have to be burned by it, you know. And so you have, I guess, that's method. Oh, is that <laughs> what the method is? <laughs> <laughs> there's the most telling comment. Well, then I don't do that. It's <laughs> 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 mistaken. I thought that was speaking loudly. <laughs> oh yeah, that. That's advanced method. <laughs> The panel was discussing directors, and I recently enjoyed Mr. Benjamin in Deconstructing Harry, and I was wondering what the experience of working with Woody Allen was like. Oh, it's, um, it's delightful. I mean, I, I don't know what, you know what your perception is of what that might be like, but it's, uh, it's very delightful. He's extremely well prepared, and um, he works very quickly. He's funny to be around and fun. Um, and uh, he said to me, uh, you know, if you don't like any what's on here, you can say whatever you want. So I said, I said thank you very much, but I'm going to be saying exactly <laughs> what you've written here, because it's quite good enough for me. But doesn't he also only give you your, he doesn't show you the whole movie, right? He, he gives you your scenes and stuff. However, and maybe he'll watch this, I don't know if he knows this or not, but well. When you're in makeup, you say, I'll show you my scene. <laughs> if, you show, you, if you show me yours, so finally by the end of it, you've got almost all, all of it. <laughs> but when he calls, you accept the job on sort of faith. Yes, actually. There are a few people, and, and he's one of them. Yes, yeah, yeah. You're, you're happy to get that call, yeah. My name is Blair Dalton. My question is for the entire panel. I was just wondering if you can point to a specific experience when you really felt like you were there in a play. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can, t I can think of one moment. Uh, I did this show called Chicago uh, last year. <laughs> and... Um, it was a, a Saturday afternoon, and I'd been doing the show for quite some time, and I was getting tired, and I really didn't want to be there. It was 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I thought it was much too early to be doing this. And uh, then I, the, the song came on, and it was my turn to, start to hit the stage, and, and I came down the stairs, and these women in underwear with fans started circling around me, and I thought, somebody's got to do this job. <laughs> Might as well be me. <laughs> and I thought, yes, I am here. <laughs> and it did help the afternoon go more quickly. <laughs> On that note with Chicago, my question is for Mr. Naughton and Mr. Reese. How has the winning of the Tony Award affected your career as an actor? Uh, I haven't made any more money. Uh, <laughs> all, uh, rather less money, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, you know, they mentioned, they they, I think they call you an award-winning actor when they sort of introduce mm -hmm. you. Uh, that's about as far as I can discern. I think it's very important for your agents or something. <laughs> they sort of can use it. But 
but I've not noticed that either, really. No, I don't know. I don't know. It's been what really... What about your one... agent? My, Has my... it helped him? Yes, my... <laughs> yes, 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 right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I... Yeah. Uh-oh. You know, I, I don't know... Um... I remember for years and years and years working and doing what I thought was a lot of good work. Mm. But then we'd get into one of these panels and there'd be people who were famous. And they didn't know me from a hole in the wall. And um, after you're around long enough and you get a couple of these things, now at least the other people who are famous, maybe they know who, that you're an actor. <laughs> yeah. So they kind of feel as if, well, I guess you're a colleague and so they don't look over your head anymore. And that's been kind of nice. <laughs> I think it's very nice to win a Tony Award. <laughs> Someday I yeah. hope I might get one. Well, come on, you. But uh, until then, I think it's an, an important thing to say that it's... it's an award that is granted to you because you have achieved a degree of excellence in the craft of theater. And it isn't for any commercial thing, it isn't for the best reviews we've been talking about or, or the biggest line. It's because you, or in whatever capacity you have in the theater, have reached that degree and you are being recognized for it by the people that work in the theater yeah. with you. So having said that, now you may go on with your friend. <laughs> My name's Justin Klosky. I'm just, for anybody. What was the most difficult experience in acting you ever faced with, and how'd you overcome it? I, well, I, the experience of doing this, the play that I'm doing right now is the most difficult uh, uh, experience I've had as an actor, is simply uh, because of the size of it. And, a lot of times I've found that I have an idea of something in my head uh, that when I read the play or uh, re rehearse a part, I have an idea of, of, of what it is that would work for it. Uh, and often it stays just out of reach. You keep grabbing at it and grabbing at it, and for a time you get a hold of it, and then it sort of slips away. And I found it very uh, elusive with this part. And... Uh, Um, but that's what's exciting and challenging, too, frankly. I mean, is when you know something is sort of beyond you and you're s still working towards it, you know? What, Ted, what would you like to hear from this panel before we I'm let you I'm enjoying what I've heard all, all, all morning. I think this is an extraordinary panel. Um, what is it that makes you professionals? What is it that enables you to go back on, as, as Jim said, and, and reaches that, that peak? What is it that makes you go on say when your show is closed mm -hmm. and you thought it was the best thing you had yeah. ever done? I heard someone say um, they, 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 they were trying to articulate the difference between an amateur actor and a professional actor, and they said it's simply that, you know, Amateur actors, people who just work in perhaps a bank or a shop or something, and then love the theatre so much, and they work in their community theatres, and they do perhaps three performances a year of a play, and they're completely satisfied. They're really just as good as we are. The thing we do is we just do it night after night. We're able to repeat it. That's, a, a, that's the thing we do. That's the interesting thing, that we're able to replicate this thing night after night, and it doesn't exist. It's not like in a movie, that you can watch a movie night after night, and it's always the same, but, but uh, we actually challenge ourselves and we actually just are able to repeat it we get to that plateau and perhaps some nights it's better and some nights it's worse and but it's a very very exciting thing i think that's the thing that sort of test of being able to repeat it night after night is a thrilling thing um 
Would you add to that? I, I just wanted to say the most difficult moment I ever had acting, I think, on the stage or anywhere, to go back to that question, was when I was working with a, an actress who was also the playwright. And she didn't like what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And she was playing my lover. <laughs> and she was not a generous spirit. <laughs> In fact, she was a despicable human being. <laughs> In so many ways. And my job was to go out there and make the, the audience believe that I loved her dearly every night. And I think I did my job. With that, I, I'm going to have to stop you because you've done your job right now. This is the American Theatre Wing Seminars on Working in the Theatre. They're coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. And this seminar has been on the performance. And it's absolutely wonderful and a marvelous group of performers that have shared their knowledge and their aches and their hurts and their... Mm everything that goes into making them professionals with us. I'm Isabel Stevenson, I'm chairman of the American Theatre Wing, and Ted Chapin is moderator of this wonderful panel. And I thank you all for being here as an audience and for our panel for being here.